Welcome to the PIO Podcast. I am your host, Robert Tornabeni. I have been a PIO for over 11 years with 27 years of law enforcement background. Welcome to Season 2 of the PIO Podcast. I am working hard to bring you the very most diverse crowd of subject matter experts in the public sector field. You can help grow the podcast by sharing it with friends and colleagues. Please give the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you listen to. So sit back and enjoy our next episode. Before we get to this week's episode, I wanted to discuss an interview that was on 60 Minutes this week. The interview was with Director Rochelle Walensky. The interview was on the work that the CDC has done during the pandemic. What caught my attention was a statement that the journalist made that 50% of the public does not trust the CDC when it comes to information about the pandemic. Director Walensky admitted where a failure had come in messaging, but then she stated this. I'm shades of gray. But from the point of view of the taxi cab driver who drove me here a couple of days ago, he remembers it as they told us you could take your mask off and then they changed their mind. Right. One recent poll showed that less than half the American public trusts the CDC when it comes to advice about the virus. Do you take it personally? I certainly don't love to see statistics like that, but I think they will get better as we emerge from this pandemic. Yeah, really important question. During her 13 months on the job, Dr. Walensky has been on a mission to improve public trust in the agency. We want to give people a break. She's done more than 90 press conferences and hundreds of interviews. She told us she wants Americans to know the crucial work the CDC's 13,000 scientists, medical professionals, and public health workers do around the world. Do they know that we deliver antiretroviral therapy to 12 million people around the world every year? With AIDS. With AIDS, no. Do they know that we're working to eradicate polio? Do they know that when somebody gets sick with salmonella that we look for the source? Do they know that we're responsible for, you know... um, opioid statistics in the country. What was profound for me and where I'm going in this is she is asking the question, do they, the public, know what the CDC does? My thoughts are the only way the public will know is if the CDC tells the public about what the CDC does. Then remind the public frequently. As public information officers and communications professionals, we need to be very clear on our messaging. Keep the public informed on what we do and how we do it regularly, and in times of crisis, be accurate, measured, and direct in what we expect the public to do in those situations. There certainly was nothing malicious in what the CDC did or said, but it is telling to me that when the director of the CDC states, does the public know what the CDC does, my immediate thoughts are doubtful. In order for the public to know what the CDC or any organization's missions and responsibilities are directly falls on that agency. And it's their responsibility to inform the public. In this case, the CDC may need to work on messaging to the public and what they do and do it frequently. Now let's get started on today's show. Good morning. Today on the PIO podcast, we have Chief Chris Menino. Chief, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So, Chief, you have uh, you, you've always been an advocate for 
involvement in the community and using social media and feel the public relations skills to bolster your standing in the community. Can you talk about your background first as, as how you got involved in that? Sure. So essentially in 2009, I'm a patrol commander. I had the opportunity to go to the FBI national Academy. And when I'm there, I focus my studies on uh, media relations and public relations because I recognize that we're not doing a great job as an industry in communicating with the public. And to give you an idea how long ago 2009 was in this, in this sphere, they didn't mention social media once in all of those courses I took because it just wasn't a factor at that point in time. Uh, and here we are 13 years later, and it's the, it's the probably the lion's share of our communicating is done via, via social media. So it's really changed quite a bit. But uh, I went back to my agency, started some social media accounts like a lot of my uh, counterparts did at that point in time. And uh, we learned along the way there were no rules in social media use back then. There was no playbook, no policy, certainly. Um, and we, we learned by mistakes being made. We learned by seeing others, you know, do things right, do things wrong. Um, and along the way, our agency got really good at communicating with the public. Um, and I spent basically the last 10 years plus serving as a, as a PIO role. Now, we're small enough that we don't have a full-time PIO, so it was among other duties, but uh, I really focused on no matter what my rank was as I, as I moved to the ranks on really being good at communicating with the public, and, and along the way, we, uh, we had a lot of successes. Yeah, you guys have always been, uh, when I was with uh, my previous agency, you, you have always been one of the departments that I'd look for for ideas. And, and I go back to, you did the, the um, it was like a tweet thing. It was almost like a Jimmy Kimmel, or not Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, yeah, uh, mean tweets. Yeah, mean tweets. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, absolutely. So if anybody ever wants to try and scroll back and find that, I'm sure that would be entertaining. Yeah, and what's interesting about that was, uh, so we decided to take some of the, the negative comments we got on Twitter and, and do a riff off of Jimmy Kimmel um, mean tweets. And, uh, and we expected the community to get a kick out of it, but, but not really to go much further. So we released that in the morning. And by that evening, all the major Chicago news networks were airing the, the mean tweets and talking about it. It really exceeded our expectations. And it just goes to show you, um, how much value there is in, in being able to laugh at yourself and not take yourself too seriously, especially for law enforcement. I, I agree with that, Chief. That It's very important for us to try and, and, and lighten up and make us all look a lot more human in, in the eyes of the, of the public, especially in today's, today's climate. So why is it such a priority for agencies to have a strong community engagement? Well, you know, I think I'd start with, with the reverse in, in, and ask why don't so many agencies focus on community engagement? Absolutely. And I think the answer is because we don't have competition. No matter how poorly we do, people don't have another law enforcement agency to turn to. If you live in Chicago, it's Chicago PD. If you live in LA, it's LAPD. In uh, both great agencies, by the way, I'm just picking two cities. Um, but the point is that if you have a bad police department, uh, the people don't really have a lot of choice to go to another source for, for law enforcement, where in the private sector, uh, everyone's fighting for mind share. Everyone's fighting for uh, to, to be the, 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 the person or the entity that the consumer is going after. Right. Um, and so we don't have that competition. So I think a lot of agencies put it on the back burner. But but the reality is we can't be effective in law enforcement 
if we're not working in partnership with the community. And that's not just, uh, that's not just, you know, a catchphrase. It's not just trying to be um, up with the times that, that has literal, literal meaning. We cannot effectively police if we're not policing in partnership with the community. And how do you do that if you're not communicating with them? How do you do that if you're not being transparent, if they don't have the information they need to assist you? It goes back to Sir Robert Peel, the founding of law enforcement. I mean, one of the basic principles is that the police are the public. The only difference being the police are the ones who are paid full time to provide protection. Uh, And so many times along history, we've gotten away from that basic concept. Uh, But communication brings us back to that point. It brings us back to the position of we're working in concert with the community to provide safety. Otherwise, we're an occupying army. Otherwise, we just come in, we police, we enforce, and we leave. Um, That's not a recipe for success. We have to have a long-term relationship. Thank you, Chief. I appreciate that. Last year in an interview, you were quoted as saying, your agency's organizational culture has always been the understanding that we can only effectively fill our role when we have the trust and support of the public. In today's current climate, where the public has distrust for law enforcement, how can agencies build on that relationship for your communi- from a communications perspective? Sure, it comes down to transparency and responsiveness. Um, we, and transparency is another one of those buzzwords that, that we like to throw out in law enforcement, um, but it has to be backed up by action. Transparency means being willing to share the information. So many agencies I know aren't willing to share about the crime that's occurring in their community. Maybe they're afraid it's going to make them look bad. It's going to make the community look bad. Look, the public has a right to know what's happening in the community. Now, there's reasons not to share certain information, right? We we don't want to compromise investigations. We don't want to compromise privacy. We certainly don't want to violate any law that limits information sharing. But beyond that, um, sharing information, being transparent, gets that trust. It gains that, that trust with the community even if the information is sometimes bad information. And by bad, I don't mean wrong information, but it's just bad news. Uh, A lot of what we deal with in law enforcement is unfortunately bad news, but the the public wants to have that information. And what we found is oftentimes the public feels better that we're telling them because they know it's happening. They just don't don't know the extent to which it's happening uh, or they don't know exactly where it's happening. And sometimes their image or their perception is even worse than what's actually happening. And so we can alleviate some fears, but um, you can't have trust in any relationship without some transparency. Uh, and that's, I think, where, where it starts. And then responsiveness simply means that if you're getting questions, if you're getting input, feedback, that you respond to it. That's just a natural part of communication. Uh, and in law enforcement, sometimes we, we're afraid to do that. We're afraid to take questions. We're afraid to be vulnerable. And uh, I, I, get, I get the reasons why. Um, But I think that if we're serious about building trust with the community, it takes both transparency and responsiveness. And this goes to my next question. So a lot of agencies are afraid to engage that stuff when it's negative, particularly in the online community. How can agencies manage that negativity? Yeah, well, let's let's acknowledge up front. the, The online world is a highly negative environment. And so I completely understand why there's some trepidation to stepping into that pool that's so full of, of so much vitriol and hate and divisiveness. Um, but at the same time, it's not going anywhere. And we have to figure out how to use this tool to our best advantage. And despite the negativity, it's a great opportunity to connect with the, with the community. 
So how do we handle the negativity? It's like anything else we do in law enforcement. We have we have plans in place. We have operating procedures. There's a way to deal with negativity. You just have to plan for it. it, it breaking it down basically is when you get the trolls, you don't respond to it. You don't you don't give positive reinforcement to people who don't have something positive or not even positive, but useful to contribute to the to the um, conversation. Then you have the misinformation, the people that honestly believe something, uh, but it's not correct information. Well, we need to correct that, but we need to do it in a way it's professional. Um, and, and more than correcting it for them, it's to correct it for the audience who's seeing this misinformation. And sometimes we want to too quickly in law enforcement classify anyone who's negative as a troll. Well, the reality is sometimes people have legitimate complaints and we need to be responsive to that. It goes back to transparency and responsiveness. If someone has a legitimate complaint about an issue, we should be willing to, to address their, their issue. Now, oftentimes the best way is to take it offline. You know, hey, Tom, thanks for your comment. Um, we understand the situation there. Why don't you message us and we'll see if we can work through this situation. Something like that, but we at least want to be responsive to it. If you have a game plan in place, it's a lot easier to deal with the negativity because you already have a plan of how you're going to respond. Excellent. So, Chief, in part of your side gig that you have right now is you go out and you do training with Julie Parker, uh, and you, you you do a lot of it. Well, how can agencies build a successful communications plan? I, I just as basic stuff. You don't need to go in depth. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, essentially, I think it starts with with how does any plan come in place in law enforcement uh, through prior planning and through training. And, and you're right. I teach, teach a lot with Julie Parker through uh, Ju- Julie Parker Communications. Uh, we go across the country helping agencies put a plan in place. Um, but it starts with having policy, and then it moves into planning what you're actually going to do, and then it transforms into putting that into actual practice, right? Not just having a document on a shelf somewhere, which we're, we're famous for in law enforcement, um, but actually implementing it. And so that's a lot of what we do. We help we help organizations set that policy, set that plan, um, but beyond that, actually carry it out in day-to-day operations. Thank you. I appreciate you going into that. I caught you off guard with that question. I was, that wasn't one that I was going to ask in, in that perspective, but I think, it's a, you have. I think it's important for agencies to realize that that communications plan that they have, they actually have to make it kind of a living document. Wouldn't you agree? It has to be something that's always modifiable. Yeah, that goes with any plan, right? So if, if we just have policy sitting on a shelf, um, it's, it's really useless other than to, to go after us with when we, when we violate it. Plan that's not in practice uh, is, is pointless. That, that could be a saying. Plan that's not in practice is, is pointless. Um, yeah, and when it comes to communi- communications plan, even more so, it has to be implemented. It has to be something we're doing on a day-by-day basis. That's how we have effective relationship building with the community. Let's take a quick break. When it comes to influencer marketing, there's a podcast that covers it all that you will want to add to your playlist. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. They talk about influencer marketing, social media, the creator economy, social commerce, and much, much more. They cover all aspects, including the creator economy, social commerce, the latest trends, the metaverse, TikTok trends, and that's just the beginning. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Add the podcast to your playlist right now. Now. 
Thank you. And as we've said before, you guys have gone viral with several of your social media posts and, and so on. And, and it, it's not something that's accidental. It's very, it's very thought, well thought out. Is How did you get the staff to buy into this plan and, and the way you engage the community? Because I see when you look at your posts on your agency, and, and I'll post the, uh, the different handles and stuff that are out there for you guys in the show notes so that everybody can go back and look. But you guys do stuff in a different way than a lot of agencies do. Yeah, I think it's just, it goes back to our philosophy of, of being relational to the community. I mean, you can be professional, but that doesn't mean being formal. And so we're, we're human. We, we have interactions. Um, you know, when we go viral, none of that has ever been intentional. We've never sat around right. in a meeting and said, how can, we, how can we go viral? What we sit around in a meeting and say is, how can we engage the community better? And some of those posts just naturally seem to take off on their own. You asked how you get buy-in. First of all, what you're portraying to the community via public messaging has to mirror what's what's actually taking place in the agency. Some agencies behave as if, well, if we just have this positive image on social media, it'll make everything better. No, the core has to be positive. What you're actually doing on a day-to-day basis in your agency has to be positive work. It has to be community-minded. It has to be um, fair and impartial. It has to respect constitutional rights. It has to mirror what you're showing to the public, first of all. Otherwise, your audience internal, they know. They know that if it's just, you know, propaganda, the the stuff you're just putting out to make yourself look good, um, it has to match the culture of the organization. And then second of all, and I can't stress this enough, celebrate the successes of your personnel, of the men and women doing the job. When they get caught doing something good, show that. Show that to the community because there will be a tremendous response from the community. And when officers see that you showed Officer Smith uh, pushing this disabled car off the roadway and the, the community's response to that, that makes other officers say, yeah, you know what? I don't mind if they show um, my picture on social media. I don't mind if they show something I did because they know there's that support there. But without that, there's a lot of fear. And I don't think it's, it's irrational fear for law enforcement to be exposed in that kind of vulnerable way. If they don't know there's going to be a, resp- you know, a positive response, if they fear there may, may even be a, a negative response. We have to show our personnel that we're going we're gonna to celebrate what's important to us, which in my agency, what's important to us is, is holding criminals accountable, but doing it in a way that has compassion for people, that respects people. Uh, and then ultimately, we have, a, we have a passion for the community. And when we do that, uh, by and large, the majority of our department has no issue with partaking in that messaging because they know that they're respected and appreciated in our community. Thank you. And, and thank you for what your, your entire department's doing. Chief, how many people do you have in your core community relations team or your, your, your kind of PIO social media unit? Sure. So let me stress, we're a small department. We're, we're located in the Chicago suburbs. We're 42 sworn officers. So I don't have the staffing or the budget for a full-time PIO. Uh, essentially, I manage our social media up until the time I was a chief of police. And when I got appointed to chief of police about four and a half years ago, I assembled a team. I've got a sergeant who runs our Instagram, a detective who runs our Facebook, and a officer who runs our uh, Twitter. Then we have some backup positions who can post if there's like an emergency or something needs to get pushed out right away. Um, and we have a couple of deputy chiefs and command staff who contribute, but it's all part-time basis. And uh, it takes some communication because we want, um, you know, we want redundant posting on all the diff- different platforms. 
as much as it's, it's feasible. So um, essentially we were a part-time team doing a full-time job. Outstanding. And, and I like that, that you gave each, each person responsibility for, for a, a platform kind of a, a, to make it their own. And the, but yet at the same time, you have everybody's hands in the, in the mix at this, it gives it a lot of different perspectives where if you had a single PIO doing it all, you may only have that single perspective based on con- contributions. I like that. It does. And we encourage our personnel who, who manage the social media accounts to allow their personalities to come out. So you might find that the sense of humor on Facebook is a little bit different than what's posted on Instagram or, or Twitter because it's a different person behind it. Um, and, and that's okay. In fact, that's good because every police department shouldn't sound the same on social media. We have our unique cultures, we have a unique audience, and we should always be speaking from, from who we are to our unique audience. Thank you. So, Chief, going back to your training aspect that you, that you do with Julie Parker and, and Julie Parker Communications, what do you see as the most challenging aspect for public sector communications right now in, in today's world? Well, I think it's two. I think it's, uh, first of all, it's dealing with the negativity. And that is a undoubtedly uh, significant challenge that we face, especially given the climate towards law enforcement right now. The other is we'll often have times where we'll, we'll have well-trained PIOs and agencies, but you'll, you'll have command staff who doesn't understand their role fully, uh, doesn't understand how to communicate effectively to the public, and will sometimes hamper that public messaging unintentionally. So I think that comes back to, you don't just want your PIOs trained in public communication. You want the people that supervise them trained. You want the the leadership teams trained in that as well. Um, That's how you have an effective public communication is when everybody who touches public communication anyway, understands what we're trying to accomplish and how we're going to get there. And and this is a follow-up to that. What should public sector agencies begin to do to improve on their ability to communicate. And I think you kind of already mentioned it. Training first. Yeah, well, first we want policy in place. I mean, that's everything that we do in law enforcement. I know that sounds like a chief of police talking, but that's the perspective I come from. We want, we want to have policy right. in place so, so we have some guidelines. And yeah, I, training is, is critical. We would never think about creating a SWAT team and going out and, and doing a high-risk search warrant if we hadn't done a lot of training along the way. Yet there are agencies who will assign someone as a PIO and two weeks later, they're getting in front of a camera speaking to potentially thousands or hundreds of thousands of people, uh, you know, in, in TV or on radio without any training. And it, it really, it's a recipe for, for failure. So we have to give, no matter what anyone's doing in this, in this profession, whatever their specialty is, they have to have training to back it up. And I think that's, that's the foundation. All right. We're going to lighten this up a little bit and go to some freestyle questions. Chief favorite sports team. Oh, I'm a big fan of international soccer. So obviously the the USA national team, and I'm also a fan of the uh, Italian national team, the Zuri. So not not big on uh, too many professional sports, but soccer is one of them. And and the US team, I think they just won a, a game the other day, uh, go, uh, potentially for the uh, World Cup. The World Cup, yeah. They they uh, beat, Hon- I think it was Honduras. Three I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, chocolate or vanilla? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, either Rocky Road or, uh, you know, something a little bit more, more flavorful. Excellent. What's a must-read book in your mind? Oh, wow. There's, there's so many. Um, wow. 
I'm gonna have to come back to that one. Let's go back, come back to that one because I've got a I've got a long list circulating in my head right now. Okay, not a problem. If you could have coffee with a historic figure, who would it be? So my inclination is to say that both my grandfathers fought in World War II, and if I can sit down and have a cup of coffee with them again, uh, that'd be at the top of my list. But uh, I assume you're meaning more of a famous historical figure. It it does not have to be. No, it does not have to be. Yeah, I mean, my interest would range from Plato to Julius Caesar to uh, John F. Kennedy. Oh, interesting. Uh, That's very broad. Interesting. Yes, yes, very broad. (laughs) I, I love history, so. Favorite drink of choice? coffee. We're all cops, right? Yeah. Hot Uh hot and black. Yep. (laughs) Chief, what's a hidden talent you have? You know, I tend to wear my heart in my sleeve. So my talents are are pretty well known. I'd say the only hidden talent I have is the uh, ability to overthink everything. So uh, that's about it. That's okay. That's good. Chief, any, any final thoughts that you'd like to add? Yeah, I would say this. It's been, it's been a, a difficult, couple of years in law enforcement, uh, and it's been especially difficult for those in public information um, because they are they are dealing with this negativity in the online format on a day-to-day, oftentimes an hour-by-hour basis. Um, you know, between the pandemic and the, the unrest of the summer of you know, 2020, um, and it continues to today with just the, the violence increasing and the violence against police officers. Um, so I guess what I'd say is make sure that you're protecting your mental health. If you're in, in public information, um, obviously, if you're in law enforcement, period, you need to be doing things to protect your public health. But, uh, you know, a huge shout out to those who are managing the, the public information. Um, and thank you for all what you do, because you represent the story of your agency. And here's what it comes down to. There's incredible work being done in police departments every single day across this country. And there are plenty of organizations willing to tell the negative story, but there's generally one who's willing to tell the positive story, and that's the organization itself. So PIOs, just I would encourage you to tell that positive story. It doesn't matter if it's not a huge story. Those small little acts of kindness, the, the small little you know, moments where we have a positive interaction, that means a lot to your community. So you really got an important job representing your community. Uh, I look at a PIO almost as like the uh, of the bulletproof vest. They they put up this protection by showing the reality of what law enforcement is, the, the positive, the, the great work being done by the men and women doing it. So uh, continue to do that. Thank you for, for what you do. It's a really important job in, in our field. Thank you, Chief. And, and how can people best reach out to you if they want to learn more about the training that you do or p- possibly connect? Yeah, so LinkedIn is a great way to, to reach me, Christopher Menino on, on LinkedIn. Um, that's where I'm most active. Uh, hit me up. I'd, I'd love to have a connection and, and you know, collaborate together. And I will add all that into the show notes. Thank you, Chris, for coming on the show. I really appreciate your insights and keep up the great work you guys are doing down at Park Forest. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to contact the show, please email us at the PIO podcast at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to get notified of the latest episode. If you are listening on a platform that allows reviews, please give us a review. We appreciate any review, good or bad. It helps us improve on each episode. Until next time, be safe.